0: Welcome to the Project Management Audio Digest, a series of project management audio teachings and instruction by project management author, trainer, and coach, Phil C. Akinwali. No part of this publication may be reproduced, transmitted, transcribed, stored in a retrieval system in any form or by any means without the written permission of Praisian Media, LLC. And now, let's join Phil in the Classroom to learn about Chapter 9 in the Pinball Guide, which is about Project Resource Management. The process, Estimate Activity Resources, and its importance, can be underscored by reading up about the historic expedition to the South Pole by Roald Amundsen. Roald Amundsen did everything he needed to do by studying the Eskimos and studying what kind of resources, what type of resources, and how many resources, equipment, materials, supplies, food, what have you, that he would need along the journey. He had it all planned out, had it all mapped out, knew where the depots were meant to be, and knew how to strategically place his men meandering through the treacherous plains all the way to the South Pole. Now, in contrast, Robert Falcon Scott, the British naval officer, didn't do that good a job as planning out his resources, and as the story goes, one team ended up reaching the South Pole before the other, Rod Amundsen's team, and up went the Norwegian flag, And they successfully began their return journey. And that was that. But on the flip side, Robert Falcon Scott's men died one by one, including him. This boils down to inefficient resource planning. If you read the stories of both, you find out that one had impeccable planning, leveraging historical information... And lessons learned. The other took very bad steps. And that led to the demise of the team. And eventually they did get to the South Pole. But their journey back was horrendous. And they all died. Lack of food. Lack of water. Just horrible. Now when you read that story. How is it that two men with a similar objective, similar goal. Robert Falcon Scott definitely did not have a shortage of resources had he chosen the right resources and the right amount of resources. And certain steps that he took were just flat out bad if you read the story. One of the favorite laws in the book the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership by John C. Maxwell, my mentor, is the law of navigation. And in the law of navigation, he breaks this story apart. And the law states that anyone can steer the ship, but it takes a leader to chart the course. Didn't we talk about management being maintaining systems and processes, but leadership is all about being innovative. Leadership actually charts the course. Managers steer the ship. It's easy once it started to steer the ship, but to chart the course is a tough job. And charting the course for resources is pretty much what this process is all about. Being able to foresee the difficulties, just like Rod Amundsen did versus Scott, who did not. Getting suitable machinery equipment is what Rod Amundsen did but on the flip side Falcon Scott employed ponies and the poor creatures had to be shot before the journey was over as a result of this his poor man had to be involved in hauling about food and samples that should not have been So, bringing it back to modern-day project management, it's the job of the project manager to count the cost resource-wise, to know what the project entails, so that, like Falcon Scott and his team, the project manager will not run out of gas, the project manager will not run out of transport resources, food resources, and ultimately the team will be able to get to dry land with the planned resources. So when you think of estimate activity resources, it's estimating the type, the quantity, and the nature of any of the resources needed on the project, be it human, equipment, material, supplies, or facilities. And the key goal of this is that it enables us identify those characteristics end to end of all of these resources so that we can effectively count the cost, look for cost trade-offs. If those particular resources are not available or cannot be achieved this is where the PM should look for trade-offs. It is also in this process that we concentrate on the capacity for these resources We should also think about the number of hours that these resources are needed. In other words, the effort, not the duration, but really the effort. How many hours a day will these resources be working? Now, this is different from how many weeks the endeavor is. For example, if I got a resource to work two hours a day for the next one month, the duration is a month. But the resource effort is the two hours over that period, let's say of 20 days, looking at a five-day work week times four. So 20 days working two hours every one of those days. This is different from a resource working eight hours a day over 20 days. So when we talk about resource effort, we're talking about the specific number of hours that these resources are working. When we talk about duration or activity duration, we're talking about how long that activity spans across. In this example, an activity span in a month. So these variables are important so that when you take a look at estimate activity duration, you will be able to distinguish between that and this, Estimate Activity Resources. Estimate Activity Resources offers an input to Estimate Activity Durations. The resource requirements become an input to Estimate Activity Durations. So let's talk about this process. How do we roll with the process? How do we get stuff done? Well, it starts off by having a plan, the Resource Management Plan. And part of the resource management plan is the how behind our identification of the resources and the ultimate estimate of how many and how much resources we need. It basically gives us a roadmap for how to carry out this process, Estimate Activity Resources. Now, bear in mind, there's a tight connection between estimate activity resources and estimate cost for obvious reasons. Resources cost money if you have a team of people that do not have the skill set that you need for a particular piece of the work that is going to cost additional money. And this is where trade-offs need to be met about who you hire, because who you hire could determine how many effort hours you'll need from that resource. For example, highly skilled resource may take two hours to do a job. A less skilled resource may take 10 hours to do the job. So here we need to consider trade-offs as well. And that's why in addition to the Resource Management Plan, we could also have the Scope Baseline as one of those sub-inputs to this process. The Scope Baseline contains the project and product scope which gives an idea of what exactly these resources will need to do on the project. The scope drives the need. Bear that in mind. Next input is project documents. And part of the project documents here are activity attributes and the activity list. Remember we talked about these before. So activity attributes further describe the activity in question. Why do we need activities? Because the resources will be assigned when acquired to an activity, right? For that reason, the activity list is also relevant. We should also factor in any assumptions and constraints that are specific to resources such as cost estimates and productivity factors. We should also consider the cost estimates. The cost of the resources, as I said previously, could impact resource selection as a result of quantity and skill level. Resource calendars should also be factored in here. A resource calendar identifies the working times for resources. So if a resource is only available within certain times, That could be an issue if the resource is not available to work on the project when the resource is really needed. Remember, as we're thinking about resources here, we're thinking about all manner of resources. Human, equipment, material, supplies. Also, risks should be considered. Any resource-related risks should be considered as an input here. Our next input, enterprise environmental factors could include the resource location, resource availability, team resource skills, organizational culture, published estimating data, and marketplace conditions. Our next input here is organizational process assets which could include policies and procedures relating to staffing, policies and procedures relating to supplies and equipment, and any historical information regarding the types of resources used in previous similar projects. Let's talk about our tools and techniques. Tools and techniques here, obviously, expert judgment is one. You need this expertise from someone who has been there, done that, to consider when you are estimating activity resources. If you have people with specialized knowledge regarding physical resource planning and estimating, you could use that in this process. Bottom-up estimating is also another tool and technique used here, and in cases where it is hard to estimate resources at a high level, work could be decomposed to the activity level and then aggregated to develop the estimates for work packages, control accounts, and summary project levels, and the ultimate project level. The next tool and technique is analogous estimating. The key thing here is we're using historical information from a previous similar project as a basis for estimating a future project. It's very quick but it's not that accurate. The next tool and technique is parametric estimating. Parametric estimating draws on historical information but the key thing is it links this historical information to a statistical relationship or an algorithm. Linking historical information and other variables through an algorithm to calculate the quantities for these resources is what parametric estimating does. For example, in the PMBOK guide, it reads on page 324, If an activity needs 4,000 hours of coding and it needs to finish in one year, it will require two people to code, each doing 2,000 hours a year. Now, those of you who are into IT, you know it doesn't always hold true that if you need 4,000 hours of coding done, then two coders will give you 2,000 each, but it is an example This technique could produce higher levels of accuracy depending on how sophisticated that algorithm is. For example, you might want to factor in the learning curve for those individuals working on that particular task because after a period of time, they could get better at it. And those three are the estimating approaches used in Estimate Activity Resources. Bottom-up, analogous, and parametric. Just remember BAP, there's no three-point estimating here. Our next technique is data analysis. Now this involves analyzing the various options for choosing resources on the project. And some of these alternatives could be the level of resource capability. Are we dealing with a highly skilled resource or not? What about machines? Are we dealing with a manual machine or is it automated what about make or buy decisions build or rent decisions and so on so in essence it's all about these alternatives for choosing the best project resource within the defined constraints the next one here is pmis project management information system it's a no-brainer this is software that enables us effectively plan resources and There's so many ERP solutions out there these days. Next technique is meetings. The meeting of the minds with functional managers, functional heads, resources, whoever's in those meetings to better understand the level of effort needed, the skill level needed, the quantity needed, so that those resource managers or hiring managers can better understand the needs for the project. And in these meetings, we could have the PM, the sponsor, other team members and stakeholders as needed. Moving on to our outputs, the first output is resource requirements. Resource requirements identify the types and quantities of resources needed for each activity or work package. And these can be aggregated to determine the estimated resource for the work packages, for the WBS branch or the project as a whole. It really depends on the level of estimating. But the bottom line is, regardless your level of estimating, this process will provide the understanding of the resources needed. This, of course, has incorporated any assumptions that were made at the very beginning. And that's why, that's why your assumption log should be an input to this process to really take into account those assumptions and constraints. As these resource requirements are derived, the next step should be to think about providing documentation surrounding these resource requirements or these estimates. Now this is known as a BOE, a basis of estimates, we've seen it in other processes, but here we're trying to hone in on the method used to develop this resource estimate, the resources that were used to develop the estimate, any constraints, Any assumptions, the range of estimates, how reliable are these, what is the confidence level, and any documentation of identified risks revolving around these estimates. The next output is a breakdown structure. You've seen a few of these breakdown structures. Well, this one is known as the resource breakdown structure. And it's a breakdown structure, a hierarchical decomposition of resources by category and type. If you take a look in the PEMBOK guide, when you're not in motion, if you're driving, don't do that. Don't bring out the PEMBOK guide, just listen. Figure 9-7, it shows you a sample RBS, resource breakdown structure, that is. Not to be confused with the other RBS, risk breakdown structure. Not to be confused with the other breakdown structure, OBS, organizational breakdown structure, or the work breakdown structure. I'm messing with you, I know you know it. Well, let's talk about the resource breakdown structure. So you can break down resources by personnel, material, equipment. You know, you want to go the extra mile and do human equipment, material supplies, facilities, however you do it, the bottom line is it breaks down resources by type. And in the image, we have personnel, we have material, we have equipment. What does this do for you? It enabled you see, in a very visual form, the resources needed on the project. This could include skill level, grade level, required certifications, or other information as needed. Our next output is Project Documents Updates, Activity Attributes, Assumption Log, Lessons Learned Register. These could all be updated as a result of this process. What are we trying to do in the lessons learned register? Well, if there are any pieces of information as far as how certain techniques were not applicable or effective, we want to document that so that people don't repeat our mistakes. And that concludes our review of the Estimate Activity Resources process. So on the exam, I expect you to be tested on the Estimating Approaches, The BAP, don't forget, bottom-up, analogous, and parametric, and how these are relevant to estimating activity resources. Also, understanding the relevance of the risk register here as an input could be helpful. Understanding that resource-related risks do need to be considered as you're estimating activity resources. Also, the specific EEFs. you see, whenever I see the word resource, I'm very careful to observe those EEFs. You want to observe those EEFs associated with this process. And lastly, understanding alternatives analysis as part of the data analysis carried out and examples of some of those analyses. And these were talked about in the pembok guide on page 322. The construction example and the automotive example will help underscore what exactly I'm talking about. And that concludes our review of Estimate Activity Resources. Let's move on to our next process. Control Resources When we talk about controlling resources, let's think about the type of resources that we are actually controlling. This is exclusive to the material resources, the equipment resources, the supplies, the facilities. In summary, control resources is all about those physical resources. In this process, we seek to control those resources to ensure that they get to the people who need them at the right time, And that they are indeed used the right way. Think about it. If there was an abundance of resources, just like air or water for the most part, do you think people would control the resources to the degree that the PMI is suggesting? Probably not. They might be a bit more careful with the resources, but We need to control resources because we don't have resources to waste. Resources cost money, materials, supplies, facilities. Deepak says, when resources become skimpy, and I'm talking about Deepak Chopra, you know him, he said, when resources become skimpy, human beings don't suddenly cooperate to conserve what's left. They fight to the last scrap for possession of a diminishing resource. Don't we see that in project management? In organizations, there has been lots of big old powwows, lots of fights, almost, because of those resources. Everyone wants the resources that are available for their project. And there are not enough resources to go around in many an organization. In some organizations, it's wait for your turn, and then you get these physical resources. And that's why in the world of project management, we have to be intentional about our planning when we would need these resources, and how many these resources will actually need to be. After you've got that great plan into action through the Estimate Activity Resources process This is the big follow-up, folks. This is the big execution. Because you estimated the activity resources, then management gave you the go-ahead and the money, and you acquired the resources, the next question is how well are we spending the resources? So control resources is where we ensure that those physical resources are available as we promised and also making sure that these resources are utilized as we intended. You want to make sure people aren't diverting those resources to other projects or heaven help us outside the firm. (laughs) Haven't you heard of instances where people are carting away company resources to use for their private use? This is where the project manager needs to put a stop to any such thing. You can't take the resources to a different project, you can't take the resources home, and you suddenly can't take them to another organization. The key benefit of controlling resources is to ensure that people get the resources they need at the right time, in the right place, and that resources, if they are not being used, are not hoarded. In other words, the project manager should ensure that those resources are released back into the organization if they are no longer needed. Also, at the end of the project, when all is said and done and you no longer need resources, there is a method to releasing those resources. And I'm talking again about physical. This is all about the physical resources. So let's take a look at this process. Control resources is not a one-time thing. It has to be done in every phase and throughout the project, because the moment you stop doing it, things could fall through the cracks. So again, we are considering equipment, materials, facilities, infrastructure. Definitely not the humans. PMI tells us we should not control humans. That's what this implies. You can see that the humans have been excluded for a reason. Okay, so we want to keep doing this all throughout the project to make sure that those resources are available when they should be available. And we also should be involved in updating resource allocation. This information, this information about resource usage, could be extremely helpful in future projects. It could also be helpful in a current project to predict resource usage. So as we go through the project, we want to do control resources continuously. We want to monitor those resource expenditures. If there's shortage of resources, we want to make sure that we get resources that are needed. In a timely fashion, we also want to deal with too many resources. So imagine you are in a facility producing a product and you've got so much of a particular resource, it becomes a problem. How are you going to deal with that? We also need to make sure that resources are released at the right time. We need to inform our stakeholders if there are resource issues that will affect them. We also want to influence those factors that can create resource utilization change. Also we want to manage any changes regarding resources when they occur, if they occur. Let's talk about the inputs to this process. The first one is obviously a plan for governing this process. The project management plan contains the resource management plan and the resource management plan contains guidelines about how to run this process, control resources. The next input is project documents. So think about it. As resource issues crop up, they need to be logged in the issue log. So the issue log will be a relevant input to this process. As the project proceeds, you may observe lessons learned regarding physical resource control. That needs to be an input here so that as you get new knowledge, that knowledge is made available and used all throughout the project and in the organization. As part of project documents, we have physical resource assignments. What happens when you acquire resources? You assign them, right? So understanding the assignment of those resources gives us the background of resource utilization that is expected and when we are measuring resource usage we want to take a look at that physical resource assignment to know what we intended it used to look like. Project schedule also here in project documents gives us an idea of when the resources are needed. The resource breakdown structure is also a sub input here it provides Reference documentation in the event of resource issues or replacements. Resource requirements is an output of estimate activity resources, and we see it here as a sub-input because it enables us identify the needed material, equipment, supplies, facilities, and what have you on the project. And lastly, under project documents, we have the risk register because the risk register helps us identify these resource-related risks that can impact our project. The next input is work performance data. As usual, we are in the monitoring and controlling process group, so what do you expect? You expect to see a boatload of processes with WPD as inputs outside of integration, of course. So this is no exception. The work performance data here could be project status regarding the number and the type of resources that have been used. The next input is agreement. If an agreement exists to supply resources in a particular quantity or measure, we need to keep our eye on that agreement. So for any resources that are external to the firm, if there is an agreement in place with a vendor or subcontractor that agreement needs to be honored and the way we keep our eye on it is by having this as an input to this process and the final input here is something we already know its organizational process assets this refers to policies procedures guidelines for resource control also any escalation procedures for resource related issues and the lessons learned repository from previous similar projects or even current projects, if this is being done at the speed of thought, as Bill Gates says, like a digital nervous system. If we are getting lessons learned from all over the firm real time, then we should be able to tap into those lessons learned, so that could be a possible input here. Let's talk about the tools and techniques. The first tool and technique here is called data analysis, and data analysis here refers to reserve analysis looking for alternatives to correct any resource-related variances, to remedy whatever problem we are facing. We also have cost-benefit analysis in which we look for cost-benefit trade-offs when we are considering corrective action for these resources, the physical resources, The next sub-technique under Data Analysis is Performance Reviews. Performance Reviews enable us to take a look at our resource performance over time and understand what the issues are, checking for variances, looking for resource utilization versus the planned resource utilization. The next one here under Data Analysis is Trend Analysis. And this refers to looking at our variances over a period of time to see if things are getting better or worse. The next tool and technique is problem solving. Now problem solving here refers to solving problems related to physical resources. Resource shortage, resources not being available at the right time, be they internal or external resources, Perhaps your vendor has gone bankrupt. Perhaps there's a weather-related issue. Perhaps a weather delay has necessitated that you get several more resources on board, as it happened to me on a previous project. Due to snow, we needed to dig quicker. We needed more backhoes, more people. These things happen. But when you're thinking of solving problems, the PMI give you some guidelines to follow. And think about idea. Because the mnemonic spells ideas, C, I D I A S C, Ideas, C. So it's I, identify the problem. D, define the problem. I, investigate the problem, collect data. A, analyze the problem, find the root cause of the problem. S, solve the problem by choosing a suitable solution. And C, check the solution. Ideas, C. Let's keep that in mind if you are trying to remember that with a mnemonic. So after we've solved problems, what next? In order to do that, we need to get people on the team on the same page. And the way we do this is by our next technique known as interpersonal and team skills. Interpersonal and team skills, we often refer to that as soft skills, but here there are two big ones, negotiation and influencing. The ability to negotiate with functional heads or external bodies for these changes in resources, the physical resources. Also, influencing could help the project manager solve problems. The more influence the project manager has, the better, because the problems are likely to be solved in a more timely fashion. The final tool and technique here is one we have heard many a time, PMIS, Project Management Information System. The Project Management Information System is A, EEF, Enterprise Environmental Factor, or B, Organizational Process Asset. What do you think? If you chose A, you are correct. The Project Management Information System is is considered to be an EEF. Now here we're talking about systems that can be used not just to store information, but to store resource-related information about resource utilization. Let's talk about our outputs from here. You know you're in monitoring and controlling, so you expect to get WPI coming out, work performance information. And this WPI has taken into account the WPD, analyzed it, and now this WPI could be things such as how the project work is progressing, comparing resource requirements and resource allocation to resource utilization. The next output is change requests. Of course, you're bound to have change requests as usual if you're working in a controlling process. So that could be a possible output. We could also get project management plan updates, the resource management plan, the schedule baseline, the cost baseline for various reasons could be updated here. If you get into a resource crunch, a resource issue, you may need to ask for additional resources, which could lead to additional scope and additional cost. The whole idea about getting new resources on board, getting them trained, getting them equipped to do the job. It's additional scope. It's also additional money, and it could also be an additional length of time to get resources replaced. So there are many different permutations and combinations and scenarios, okay? I've said this quite a few times. Don't get hung up on the sub-information. Read it, understand it, and move on, but don't try to cram it. Our next output is project documents updates. So we're talking about things like the assumption log, the issue log, lessons learned register, physical resource assignments, resource breakdown structure, risk register, and of course the PMI always tells you could include but are not limited to. So get ready to face that and more on your exam. And that concludes our review of the ITTOs. So, what should you expect on your test is the question I hear you asking. Well, I'll tell you, this is a new process in the 6th edition. It was not there in previous editions. In fact, the idea of controlling resources was so far removed because we knew that we couldn't control humans and there was a gap in the controlling section of, at the time it was called something else, but there was a gap there. And on the exam this time, I would expect you to be tested on the essence of this process, the essence of checking the physical and not the human, the essence of problem solving, the essence of negotiating and bartering and a cost-benefit analysis and an alternatives analysis because you're trying to solve a problem. So it's the logic and the mindset behind what you're doing. Also, the fact that you are considering these physical resource assignments as an input and you're also considering resource requirements as an input, this is very important and it's pivotal to understanding what exactly you're doing in the control resources process because without these things, along with the resource management plan, how on earth would you know what to do? The idea of Variance analysis of sorts being carried out is important because without it being explicit, you are comparing what your original resource plans were to the actual, to the actual usage. What were your plans and what is the usage? All that stuff I expect you to be tested somewhat on the exam about it. And that concludes our review of control resources. If you're studying by process group, it's coming down to the wire. We're making a lot of progress. We haven't got too far to go. If you're studying by knowledge area, we've got a little bit to go. But just know where you are in the matrix. See you in the next process. Control resources is a new process in the PMBOK 6th edition. And controlling resources is in the monitoring and controlling process group. And, of course, this is typical of all of our controlling processes, except for a few, which is, hey, what does the data say? Let's analyze what's the difference between what is and what is supposed to be. And let's either say we're on track or let's have a change request as an output. So resources are one of the most important pieces to meeting our schedule and our budget with the level of quality that's necessary to have a deliverable that's fit for use. So this is a, a, a new process because it's a very relevant and very necessary process to have called out from all the other processes that exist in the PMI framework. Let's move on to our next process here. It's out of cost management, and it's known as estimate cost. In estimate cost, we could put on two different pairs of glasses. The first pair of glasses is at the WBS work package level. We could say, I'm going to estimate this project at the work package level. I'm not going to the task level. Ain't nobody got time for that. We're going straight to the work package level and we're going to add up all those work packages and boom, we're going to end up getting a final total amount. That's one pair of glasses you could put on. But you could put on another pair of glasses and say, we are going all the way down to the task level or the activity level. So estimating costs could be done at the work package level, or it could be done at a more detailed level going into the task level. It's really a thing of choice. In my opinion, the more granular the estimates are, the more accurate your final estimate is likely to be. For example, you've got a bunch of tasks, and you are still not satisfied with how you've estimated them, you could break them down even further. You could break them into subtasks or sub-activities, if you will, or child tasks, whatever configuration you choose to use. The bottom line is you are coming up with estimates for different pieces of the project. And that's what we do in estimate cost. So which pair of glasses do you wear in your firm? Do you wear the work package lens or do you wear the activity lens? The PMI give us an understanding of this. They say estimate cost is the process of developing an approximation of the cost of resources needed to complete project work. So you're thinking about the human equipment, material supplies, facilities. How much will all these things that we need actually cost for different chunks of the project work? And you can do this using a number of estimating approaches. You can use analogous estimating, parametric estimating, bottom-up estimating, or three-point estimating. It really depends on the unique nature of your project and preferences of the project manager. But I can tell you this, gone are the days of the one-point estimate. People are beginning to realize that we need to evolve beyond the hit-and-miss one-point estimate. People are used to ranges these days, and ranges with experts who know what they're talking about is usually the preferred route. So what do we get from this process, estimate cost? Well, we get a cost estimate. A cost estimate is a deliberate, intentional, thought-out assessment quantitatively of what the likely cost for the resources being used in a particular activity will be. At a point in time, it might seem as though cost will be A particular amount. But remember, as progressive elaboration takes place, your understanding of cost could also evolve. So this should not be a one-time cookie cutter type of thing. Over time, your clarity about cost could become more precise. When we talk about estimating cost, We could also explore options such as, should I use resource A or should I use resource B? Hey, resource A is cheaper. Oh, but resource A isn't the same level of quality as resource B. Or you could make trade-offs such as, should we buy or should we build? Should we lease or should we buy? That kind of mindset. You also get into that as you're estimating cost. Cost estimates, of course, are usually in a unit of currency. Dollars, yen, pounds, euro, and what have you. When we talk about estimates, though, they could, in some rare instances, be in resource hours. I actually taught a company that specialized in Estimating in resource hours and their earned value management, get this, was all done using resource hours. So there's room for those accommodations in the area of estimating cost. Cost estimates need to be reviewed and refined, like I said, throughout the project as more and more detail becomes available, more detailed assumptions an awareness of various constraints, then we could hone in and we could get more clarity as far as the actual costs that these activities are likely to be. The PMI give an example of when you are in initiating and you come up with a rough order of magnitude estimate in the range of minus 25% to 75%. And down the road in the project, as you're beginning to know more about the project, your range of accuracy could change from minus 25 to plus 75 to minus 5 to plus 10. And in some firms, there are guidelines as to when you can make these refinements. But the bottom line is, there should be some sort of allowance for these refinements and the word re-baseline should not be uncommon to you because as the project proceeds you may just have to re-baseline as you find more information out or as the customer's priorities change in the world of Agile. Let's talk about the inputs to estimate costs. The first one, boom, project management plan. You saw that come in because it has the cost management plan and it also has the quality management plan. When you think about quality, it costs money. The cost of quality, the cost of those quality objectives being met needs to be factored in. We also have the scope baseline. Of course we do, because that is pretty much what we're trying to assess. So we've got the big old scope baseline, and then we've got under that other little items, such as the WBS, the WBS dictionary, and the project scope statement. So our scope baseline is definitely one of those sub-inputs that makes sense here. If we take a look at the project documents right off the bat, boom, the project schedule, that should hit you hard. Because the schedule, without that, what are you estimating? You need your schedule and the order of activities to be able to estimate. Without your schedule, how will you estimate? A resource fail is working on five activities. They're all taking place at different times. Having the schedule to see that these are not all one-time things where you could say, oh, all the travel is going to be bunched up as one amount, seeing that in the schedule, it helps. We could also have here, as inputs, the risk register and resource requirements. When you understand the requirements for resources, you will know how much those resources will likely cost. Two usual suspects, EEFs and OPAs. Market conditions, that will influence this process. Published commercial information, such as published commercial databases about how much certain skills will cost hourly, that stuff could be helpful here. And also exchange rates and inflation could be helpful. Our final input is organizational process assets, and this could refer to Standard operating procedures for managing cost, cost estimating templates and any historical information, and the lessons learned repository from which we can glean lessons to help us in this process. The tools and techniques need no introduction. Expert judgment about the project we're working on, previous similar project experience helps, information in the industry that we're working within, and cost estimating methods could help us here. Now, really quick, because we've talked about this to some degree, we've got analogous estimating as one of the techniques, parametric estimating as another technique, bottom-up estimating as another technique. Last but not least, three-point estimating could also be used here. Now, I would advise you to read under three-point estimating because You've got two formulas here. You've got the triangular distribution and you've got the beta distribution under three point. When do you use triangular? When you do not have any prior history about a technology or background information does not exist and the context of the estimates isn't as clear. You use the beta distribution, on the other hand, when there is historical information, when you've been there, done that in the past then you can use the beta distribution formula. The beta distribution formula, also known as the PERT formula, is pessimistic plus 4 times most likely plus optimistic divided by 6. And we're talking about estimates here, so 4 times the most likely estimate plus the optimistic estimate plus the pessimistic estimate divided by 6. Let's move on to our next tool and technique. It's called data analysis. And you are familiar with alternatives analysis. In this case, we're looking at alternatives for executing the project work. Make versus buy. Build versus lease. And the main reason why you're doing this is to arrive at a favorable decision that, of course, will put you ahead of the curve When it comes to cost, you don't want to waste money. You want to get the best bang for your buck, right? Still under data analysis, we've got reserve analysis. And this is looking at each task and asking, do we have enough buffer in there? What should our contingency reserve look like for this project or for this particular task? In this case, we're looking at the task level and asking, do we have enough buffers in here? If you're looking at the work package level, obviously it would be at a higher level, but the key word is contingency reserves. We need to address those contingency reserves right away before things begin to happen. Still under data analysis, we have COQ, the cost of quality. I would advise that you look at the COQ image because we could break this down in several ways, but The overarching breakdown is the cost of conformance to quality and the cost of non-conformance to quality. In the event that things don't go very well, we need to consider those. And that's why we should allocate some good cost resources to quality. The next tool and technique is project management information system. Spreadsheets, simulation software... Any tools that we use to get a better handle on our cost estimates. The next tool and technique is decision-making. We could use voting to vote on these estimates. What does the team think? Do you think we did a great job in estimating this or do you have some other idea? Through voting we get to learn what the team really thinks about those estimates and it gets them to commit to those estimates. Using voting empowers the team and makes them feel like they own part of the decision. Let's talk about the outputs of estimate cost. Big output is the cost estimates. When we talk about cost estimates, we're being deliberate, we're being quantitative. Quantitative assessments of the probable cost, says the PMI. So we're given some very specific numbers to say this is what we believe it will cost for this particular task or activity, if you will. The next output is the basis of estimates, BOE. This is supporting documentation for the estimates that you came up with. Some of these supporting documents could be Documenting the assumptions and constraints that you used. Documenting how the BOE was developed. Documenting any identified risks, the range of possible estimates, and how confident you are in those estimates that have been generated. The next output is project documents updates. Project documents that could be updated here include, but are not limited to, I'm sounding like the PMBOK guide, (laughs) could include but are not limited to Assumption Log, Lessons Learned Register, and Risk Register. And that concludes our review of Estimate Cost. Now, what do I expect on the exam? I expect you to know the rhythm of Estimate Cost. Understand what you're really trying to achieve. What you're doing, preferably, is looking at the schedule and breaking down the schedule cost piece by piece for each activity that is preferred. In cases where that may not be possible, you may be looking at the work package level, which is higher up in your WBS. Okay. I also expect you to be tested on understanding the dynamics of marketplace conditions, exchange rates and inflation as enterprise environmental factors here. Also, the four estimating approaches, analogous, parametric, three-point, bottom-up, and knowing when to use the different three-point estimating approaches. You've got the triangular. When do you use that? You use that when the work is generally unknown. Then you've got the beta or the pert. You use that when you've got some background information regarding the project at hand. Under data analysis, alternatives analysis, what you're doing there is important, and reserve analysis, how you would carry that out is also a good one to know. The major outputs of the process, I also expect you to be tested on cost estimates, what is in the estimate, and the PMI tell you this. If you read the pen book guide and highlight it and hone in on these nuggets, they are nuggets laced all throughout the pen book guide. If you can hone in on those unique aha nuggets, it will really help you. You know, For example, right there in the middle of cost estimate is a line item. This includes, but is not limited to, Direct labor, materials, equipment, services, facilities, information, technology, and special categories such as cost of financing. Did you know that the cost of financing is one of the things you should be thinking about here? Some people don't. It costs money to finance stuff. And those are things you should be thinking about. Inflation. So rather than read the entire chapter for you, which you probably fall asleep if I read the pen book guide from A to Z for you. But on a serious note, look out for those nuggets and those rarities and those things that you typically would not pay attention to if you were skimming the book.